Hello and welcome to Voices of Blue Scope, the podcast where we meet the people who work behind the scenes at Blue Scope to create strength every day. I'm your host, Martin Feld. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we're focusing on the number six blast furnace at the Port Kembla Steelworks in Australia and some of the people who were involved in its launch in 1996. For the uninitiated, a blast furnace is a large steel shell that is shaped like a bottle. It is used to produce iron, which then undergoes further changes and chemical processes to make steel, a product that is less brittle and far more durable. Currently, the only blast furnace in operation at the Port Kembla Steelworks is its predecessor, Number 5 Blast Furnace, which has continued the job after the required shutdown of Number 6 Blast Furnace in 2011. Number 5 has served us well, but blast furnaces eventually reach end of life. It is projected to cease production in the next few years. This is where Number 6 re-enters the scene. As we explore and move towards new alternatives in steelmaking, planning for a massive project is underway to reline Number 6 Blast Furnace. This will see the resurrection of an impressive piece of manufacturing infrastructure for Blue Scope in the Illawarra region, and will include various new technologies to facilitate low emissions steelmaking. To celebrate this and acknowledge the hard work of those who came before, we welcomed back four former employees to our site who contributed to the original launch of Number 6. They are Daryl Lathleen, Peter Cross, Ron Buchan and Sid Webb. Reminiscing about their past work and looking to the future, they kindly shared their personal stories in respective interviews with me and my colleague Tim Robinson from the Blue Scope media team. The interviews that you're about to hear were conducted on one of the decks of the Number 6 Blast Furnace. Our first conversation was with Daryl, who played the important role of connecting operational and engineering staff during the initial project for Number 6 Blast Furnace. My role on the project was the client rep between the operations people and the project design engineering construction team. So I, I had to uh, converse with the people that were in operations to get what they wanted on the furnace and I was their representative if they wanted changes made to the design. Uh, so there were engineering meetings, there were design meetings, there was construction meetings, but where, where there were changes or you know, things that were required for the operations, I would have to you know, get the, I guess, the approval of the operations in general, like Ron, Ronnie's team members had input into what they wanted from based on their experience, so we would exchange that and then the engineering people would decide whether that was possible or not. And uh, can you tell me a little bit more about your background and training, some of the knowledge that you brought to this role? My background was technology and development. So I was a superintendent technology and development and that was about looking at the process technology, not computing technology, but process, you know, temperature, pressures, flows, etc. And I had had, I was in charge of the, what we call the tech group, the technical group that was uh, based here and basically I had 20 odd years experience in that sort of area or more actually but I haven't added it up. And uh, looking back on that time what are some of the fond or particularly uh, memorable moments that you can, that you can take from that project? Uh, just generally speaking one of the uh, 
the pluses of, of my experiences at the time was uh, I was involved in the whole project right from the outset. I was in charge of getting the submission to the board and then the the authorisation, the feasibility, uh, pre-feasibility, then the construction and uh, along with these guys, we, we, I was there for 30, three months after the furnace blew in to make sure what we promised was what was delivered and, and it was. Um, number six at the time was one of the, the most modern blast furnaces ever built and uh, some of it had world first items in the kit and uh, the, other, the other thing was people were saying at the time this is probably the last blast furnace that will ever get built because it was back in 1996 things weren't looking rosy going forward but people said you know it would um, it, you know it would be the last furnace built but that was before China underwent their expansionist pro steel program and you know they built 10 blast furnaces a year sort of thing so the good thing about this project was was the involvement the people that were involved were the best part of the project and uh, today testament to that is us guys still keen to understand the knowledge that's that's going on on uh, on the site but uh, I'm just grateful and thankful that Blue Scope Management has decided to reinvest in the future and uh, bring number six back to its former glory. Good luck to the project team on the on the upcoming reline. Let's turn now to Tim's conversation with Peter, who contributed to the furnace's refractory lining and who now reflects on the importance of teamwork. My position on the construction of this blast furnace was to install the refractory linings in the blast furnace, hot blast system and the stoves. So that was a major project to get done. Uh, a lot of man hours, uh, an enormous amount of tonnes of refractory to be installed and uh, that went over a period of around about 150 odd days. Yeah, wow. Tell us about the team that you worked on for something so big. Oh, the team I work with, you, they've spoken already in front of me, they're a really nice bunch of guys, all hard working guys. We have some pretty robust discussions, I can tell you. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they were good to work with and always very helpful people. Uh, sometimes you can get pretty down when you're working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day, and it's non-stop, it's seven days, 24 seven, it's the way you go. And so people go, you go to work every day, of course you do, you've got to get the project done. So that's the lifestyle that I had to work here, but it was a, it's a pleasure to work on a place like this, it's just a, a massive blast furnace, and probably the one of the best in the world in its time. Uh, to be part of it, and the responsibility of putting it together inside is a big responsibility, so you can't mess up. Eh? To walk through the gates today, to have a look at it again and have, have a walk around, bring back some fond memories for you? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I first walked into the gate in this company in 1958, and we were building, just starting to build number four blast furnace, which is just behind you. It used to be just behind you. And then I went on to work on the, all the blast furnaces 
like one, two, three and four, just like Ronnie Bucket. So we're all there together. And uh, then we end up building five and six. And uh, we've done the relines of those. But I also played a role in doing the relines in uh, Newcastle and also Wyala. So I had a, a good role of running around fixing up blast furnaces uh, and uh, quite a lot of years doing it. But we enjoyed every minute of it. I just I, I loved, loved my job. Yeah. You want to be careful because there's another reline about to happen. You might get the call back. I don't think it's got wheelchair access. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you excited about the news of oh, yeah. the, the reline? Yeah. It's going to be up again? Well, the excitement probably outweighs the disappointment when we had to turn it off. Because I was invited back with these guys to actually be here for when they shut the furnace down. It was a pretty sad day, I can tell you, because we put a lot of years' work, a lot of hard work, uh, into in in putting this uh, project together. Uh, people have got to understand it's just a, a team, a team effort. It's, no one person builds the blast furnace, even though I tell everybody I do it all on my own. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if you had one message to the people that are about to attack this and and reline it again, what would it be? Well, first of all, they're going to have to want to do it, right? And then they've got to be committed, right? Uh, it's, a big, it's a big responsibility on the families too, because that, those people will be here. It's very demanding on families. People forget about the families, but they, they're at home. They're, they're running the organisation at home and you're running one in here. So if, if they come in, they've got to be prepared to be here and do it properly. You only get one chance. Crossing to Ron, you'll now hear what it was like to be superintendent, overseeing the entire blast furnace process. I was the superintendent of this blast furnace from the start up of 1996 until I retired in 2002. Long time ago now, uh, uh, superintendent. What, so what was your actual role? What did you do as a superintendent for the start? Well, I was in charge and control of the whole process. So the operating teams and the maintenance all worked with me. So I was domiciled in this building here, uh, spent far too many hours here, but that was the way it was. Must have been an exciting time back then with, with such a major project to be it, in the lead off. It was, because it was so important to have um, the future of the steel industry really w was necessary to have good quality blast furnaces. I had worked from 1966 uh, on blast furnaces, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and I was actually the superintendent of number five blast furnace, and then the superintendent of number four blast furnace, just prior to the start-up of, of this project. In 93, when the project was commissioned, I came on board to set up the operating teams. You mentioned that, and that's a good point because you've been involved in all of them. So the technologies throughout, of course, this is the latest, we probably the latest technologies. And again, when it gets relined, there'll be even newer technologies. Yeah. But how did you see some of those changes through the, through the ones that you worked on? Oh, they were massive. Really, it was a black art to operate a blast furnace back in 1966. Number one blast furnace, it was a very difficult process, a very hard, process and going right through um, number five blast furnace which is 
started in 1972, it was something new and very different. And it was probably state of the art, but then number six blast furnace, when it was built, was probably the best blast furnace in the world. And it was the most modern. And one of the joys of being the superintendent operating the blast furnace was we entertained a lot of overseas visitors that came to look at this blast furnace. And these were blast furnace people from all around the world who wanted to have a look at the latest. What about the teams that you worked on? What was it like working on the teams throughout those? Oh, very good. This engineering team that was put together to build this, um, I came on board as an operator in, in 93 um, to have an input into the whole design of the furnace. It was a, that was a wonderful team, worked so well together. And it was sort of a pleasure to be able to be considered the operating voice in that team. Um, we then went on to build our operating teams. We had, we had a five shift system with, we had to get the teams out of a, all the other blast furnaces, or out of the two that were operating and build teams around them. And that was a lot of work. And we had to have those teams commission all the equipment so that when startup occurred, we had um, teams that knew exactly what to do with every piece of equipment. Um, and it was necessary to make it a very efficient startup. Is there an extraordinary moment, a moment, one moment that stands out for you? Probably, I had an enormous excitement the day we blew the furnace in because um, it was a thrill. I knew there was a challenge ahead. There was a lot of trepidation because I had been around blast furnaces for so many years and I knew what could go wrong, but an excitement to see so many people wanting to get in and have a go. This was such an important thing for the Illawarra to have the steel industry guaranteed its future by having this blast furnace. Um, and it's a similar thing now with the building of, rebuilding of this blast furnace or relining of it um, is so important to the steel industry, it's so important to the people of the Illawarra to have this work. Last but not least, Sid explains the challenges that had to be overcome to make number six blast furnace a reality in the 1990s and why its proposed reline in the 2020s is so significant. My formal title was the commissioning manager on this project, which I guess I formally held from July 93 when the board approved it until 11 June 96 when it blew in. And I was obviously involved way before that and way after that because I've worked here for a long time. This project had an, another major contractor, DJB, Davy John Brown, who came with a whole bunch of their own people, including a commissioning guy. So he and I split roles and uh, I let him do the cold commissioning and I did all the more hazardous stuff, pressure testing, heating up, all that sort of stuff. And so I moved into a more engineering role for that period, that period of time. There's no doubt it was a huge job. Can you sort of give us a, an insight on just how, how big it was from when you took it on? Well, I remember uh, three years of uh, probably 60 hour weeks and not many time off during the last part of it. The project itself was under a lot of cost constraints at the time. So there are things you're putting on this furnace now that are not there. It's not because we didn't know about them, just there wasn't any money. And so we tended to put the money 
where we get our best gain, which was in the furnace itself, the cooling systems, the furnace top, Dazzler's already referred to, the rotating top, the inline top, the stockhouse, the rescreening so we could reuse small material, the round stockhouses with the rotating feet, all to, all to minimise segregation of raw materials. So we spent quite a lot of money on all that side and did what we could, left things out that we thought we could lift out and then people pulled things out we didn't think should have been pulled out but they got pulled out anyhow. <laughs> so that, that was always a challenge because we're pushing boundaries. The hot blast system, you know, stoves are quite small on that for a reason, to keep the cost down and uh, they probably should have had a V8 engine but we put a V6 in them. And then uh, there's plenty of examples out around the place where we had to manage, manage costs or Daryl would come and growl at us. Everyone has a, a good day at work and a bad day at work. I don't want to hear about your bad one, but is there a good one that really stands out? Is there a story that you can think of that you still have a bit of a laugh at today? Or? It wasn't too many laughs, except at the uh, off-site parties. There's lots of laughs at them, but on-site, no. Memorable moments. I've got lots of memorable moments that you don't want to hear about. I suppose one memorable moment is when Crossy and I lit 63 stove to heat it up. That was the start of the run-up to heating everything up and getting the furnace going. Uh, That's an amazing moment. How did that, how did that feel for you? Uh, he, After all the hard work to, to he, start it all up. Yeah, he took over the thing. He's, <laughs> he's the star of the show. Not me. I was just a backup. I guess I had the opportunity on the project team to work with the best of the best. Some of them are here today. Uh, it was a very close-knit team, and uh, we, well, we were friends before then, but we formed friendships that last forever, even through the DJB engineering team, and even today I still correspond with engineer, or one engineer in particular on that team. So it was a very close, close team. A fair bit of adversity we had to manage on the way through to make this furnace you know, what it is to stay, and as as already said, I mean, it was a world-class operation when it when it blew in. It's probably up there now, maybe not world-class, but it's up there. And uh, it was all made here, it was designed here. Uh, plate was rolled here, fab shop rolled the plates, put the holes. I think it was EPT at the time, welded the shell together. It was lifted up with a big crane over here. I, and took a walk 1200, just to lift the rings in. The most exciting lift was probably the furnace top. It was all built as a total structure. It was over 300 ton lift. It looked like a lunar module landing when it came in. Uh, sort of groundbreaking stuff. I guess right now, uh, I'm privileged to be invited to be here. I'm a bit sad to see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the Reline team are going to resuscitate this, this, this project and make it a phoenix that arises out of the ashes. I mean, it's a state-significant project. I always think it's a national-significant project, and it's certainly important to Illawarra. So it's got to work. It's got to start when it says it's going to start, and it's got to work, and it's got to produce, because, you know, you want quality engineering everywhere, commissioning to the nth degree, but it'll be very rewarding for the people that are on it. Uh, particularly the younger engineers, as we found out, they, they just blossomed in projects like this. We hope that you enjoyed each of the interviews in this episode. 
thank you very much to Daryl, Peter, Ron and Sid for returning to our site to see Number 6 Blast Furnace and share their stories. If you'd like to learn more about our steelmaking process and how a blast furnace works, make sure to check the links in this episode's show notes. For other news and updates, go to bluescope.com, visit Bluescope on LinkedIn, or follow at Bluescope on Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Voices of Bluescope podcast. We hope to have you again soon.